welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Justin Dingle Garcia, who's currently in Melbourne opening the Standard Melbourne in Fitzroy, the first of the LA-based group's Australian hotels. Now, I don't know about you, but the luxury hotel world feels like another dimension to me, a glamorous and celebrity-filled world. Then there are the people behind the scenes who make it all happen. My only insight into their world is through the likes of White Lotus, the night manager, and the Grand Budapest Hotel, and they were documentaries, right? I was invited to a glorious Melbourne Cup Day champagne breakfast at the Western in Collins Street, and I was welcomed into a group of general managers and other hotel industry people who were swapping stories of their various posts around the world. I inhaled that. It was fascinating. I met a lovely woman called SJ in that group, and when I said what I did, she told me I absolutely must talk to Justin Dingle Garcia. So I did. Justin has travelled the world as a chef, although he originally thought he'd be a professional baseball player. When that didn't pan out, he found himself in the kitchen and he loved it. Inspired by the books he read by the likes of Marco Pierre White and Raymond Blanc, he propelled himself on a career trajectory that led to top chef and culinary director roles in luxury hotels. And now, with all that in mind, he reckons he has a book on him too. It won't be a cookbook though, it'll be tales of all he's seen in hotels across the globe. I think, why stop at a book? This was a cinematic ride of a conversation, and totally up there with the documentaries on which I based my original impression of hotel life. Often PR people might ask me to talk to someone or, you know, I, um, I, I read about them, but it was a bit random yeah. <laughs> hearing about you at a, a Melbourne Cup champagne breakfast. Um, but then I started reading about the hotel and it sounds pretty fascinating. So it's like a Hollywood hotel backed by Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio and... Oh, the, there's a few of them. Yeah, a few there. of them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I worked for... Um, a company in the States called Morgan's Hotel Group. Yeah. And that was one of those groups that when I first started cooking and stuff like that, I got this job in, in, in um, London and sort of saved up all my dollars and cents. And we went and stayed at one of their hotels back then, um, which was the Paramount and the Royalton Hotel in New York. And they were like, designer hotels, everything that basically we'd read about in magazines this place was. And so I kind of went there with a, with a girlfriend. We had like this honeymoon before the storm type of thing of going into the UK. And I was just like, God, I wish I had a, um, a green card to work for this group. And, you know, about 20 years later, <laughs> um, I got a phone call. Um, asking me if they'd um, if I'd be interested in joining the group to do um, some projects uh, in the Middle East and Istanbul and Qatar 
So I joined the group um, primarily just to do the Qatar project, which was this multi, multi, multi-million dollar hotel, no expenses spared um, in Qatar. It was owned by the, um, the King's brother. Yeah, right. So um, I flew in there for that and um, had this awesome boss um, who was the group chef. Um, and about three weeks into my job, um, <laughs> he, he got asked to leave the group because he was using his Amex at um, stripper bars in Vegas. Uh, stupidly, I don't know why to this day he still did it. So I sort of got called up. We were opening a hotel in London. We were redoing um, the branding of the food and beverage of two of the properties in London as well that we had, Sanderson and St. Martin's Lane. And then I would have to go into New York to our corporate headquarters, which was um, literally for me based at the Hudson Hotel there. Um, And we had like four or five other properties there as well. We had the Miami properties, so, and the LA and the San Francisco properties. So it was just like, um, if there was an issue with a chef, um, I'd have to go in there and resolve it type of thing. If there was an opening, I'd go in there as task force. Um, In some cases, I ended up taking over the role of culinary director or executive chef of those properties until we found someone more suitable. Um, and so what does that mean? Does that mean doing menu creation as yeah, well? Yeah, all, 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 all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the person that I worked um, very closely with was a woman by the name of Ali Jafari, who was a, an Iranian woman who left Iran when she was like 17, went and worked in Hollywood, um, ended up working for Trump Towers, opened the W Hotel, um, she's just an amazing woman, or just awe-inspiring. And um, our company, Morgan's, after being with it for a while, and we did openings here, there, and everywhere, and um, had these great uh, results. You know, we were the talk of the town type of hotels. Yours was the flat one. Is that right? Oh, the other way around. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Um, it, it got a little bit sort of. Um, It sounds really shit and really hypocritical, but you get sick of living in a hotel suite. Uh, You get sick of all the parties. You get sick of all the openings, another opening. And I did seven openings while I was with them. Yeah. And so I was just kind of, you know, looking for something. I I felt always like there was, I was missing out on something in Australia. Yeah. Um, You know, there's so many... I guess new artisans coming into the, the the radar, whether it was bakers or charcuterie makers, beverage makers, all yeah. of that. And so I was kind of looking for something a little bit closer to home. Um, and I did Elements of Byron. I opened that property, and then um, my GM he left and um, went to Hayman Island. So I was just like, he's like. I want you to come with me and I, I flew up there and the place was just shit. It was from a place that was sort of an icon of Australia. Um, it was very much so run down and it's like, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? So 
I was sort of humming and ahhing for a while and I ended up taking it. Um, Where do you start when it's when it needs that much work? How do you? Uh, always from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> a good clean. Yeah. Um, looking at the staff, um, seeing why they're actually there. Yeah. You know. Um, and trying to, I've ended up bringing up a, a really big team, some international, some worked with me in London. Um, one was actually working at Eston Blumenthal's place okay. in, in London, the, the new one he had as a pastry chef. Um, I had a couple of Italian guys that had worked in London for me, but they were, were back in Italy. And uh, yeah, all this talent just came into Hainan. And a month after that, um, what was the name of her? She's always, I hate the name of this cyclone because it reminds me of a really nasty ex-girlfriend I had. Oh. But I can't remember what it is. But it completely destroyed us yeah. up there. I mean, to the point that um, it was, it was to an extent, could have died up there. It was, it was that dangerous. So, um... How, how large is it, the island? Pretty big. Okay. Yeah, oh, right. Pretty big. Yeah. Even at the mercy of a cyclone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. You know, roofs flew off. Uh, roads were completely covered with um, uh, trees and debris about 10 feet deep. Um, I got called up by the GM at that time, or sorry, the assistant GM, to come down because we had some guests on the, on the island uh, to see if I could wrangle up something in the kitchen for him. Dean, that we, he thought the the um, cyclone was over. It was actually the eye of the storm. And it started up again when I was halfway down the hill and I had bamboo like shooting like spears past me and corrugated island. I was like totally doing like combat sort of maneuvers to get into the kitchen. But yeah, so uh, one and only lost the contract for that after, after that. Um, not because of the cyclone or anything, but um, they decided to retain myself and the guy that, that brought me up there and he got sent off to Maldives and I got sent to Bahamas. So It does sound very exotic. I yeah, say. I mean Bahamas was awesome. Yeah. Um, beautiful place. One of those places that you know there's history there. Right. And um, you know, from a, a, a picture on the piano in the cocktail bar of Elvis Presley and um, Priscilla sort of signed, sitting on the piano bar, the Beatles and all of that. It, it was really much a, a who's who would come down there. And mm. when, I, when I arrived there, I think the Oscars had just been held. So we had all the Oscar winners down there. Um, I had Puff Daddy or whatever he's called this month stay there for a month and had to take care of him. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a nice experience, but just too far away. Yeah. And um, that's when I met um, Krista, uh, SJ's husband, and he's like, come to Singapore, okay. come join W. So I, I came and joined them um, as the culinary director which I've never had that title before, but it sounded pretty cool, so, <laughs> so why not? Yeah. Um, Singapore, absolutely loved it. Um, I guess from the casual aspect of, you know, never had to put on a suit or jacket or anything like that. Um, and also I had sort of carte blanche on the, um, on the menus there. So 
walking in there, it was still sort of a little bit old school fine dining, but supposedly cool because it was in the W. So I changed all the concept, which hadn't really taken off here at that stage, but grazing. Yeah. Um, more, I suppose, like a modern European. Ten years ago, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, How do teams? I mean, they've got no. Um, they have to accept you, <laughs> but you know, how is it? It feels like you come in and you kind of are starting from zero again, or changing menus, or even changing perhaps even the culture yeah. of of how you do things. Yeah. Yeah. What's the reception of that? Or what's your style of getting people on side? Um, I'm, I'm normally, I mean, the person that you see right here now is exactly the same person. You know, there's no, I don't go into a Gordon Ramsay mode or, you know, it's an Attila the Hun type of thing. It's yeah. what you see is what you get. Might be an age thing. I'm just too tired to, to, to be that. But at the same time, I, I've always found that most of the positions that I've had to go and undertake, whether it was with Morgan's or prior to Morgan's, I was I was with uh, Aman Resorts and, and all, I suppose, the sister company, which is now called Alilla, which back then was GHM. Um, there was a lot of troubleshooting positions with that. Um, I think that really comes back from my early days after leaving the UK and I got a job in um, Hong Kong with the American clubs and at the same time a gentleman who worked with me in in the hotel that I was at in Oxfordshire, Le, uh, Le Manoir Cassaison, the head patissier got a job also in Hong Kong and um, he was at the Peninsula which at that time best hotel in the world. Mm. Um, so you know he came over you know and la-di-da and basically went in there with a uh, this is my way, highway type of scenario, and I'm probably a little bit, you know, effing and blinding, and he was marched off the property and put on a plane, I think after about a month of being there. And my first day in the company that I worked was actually the original chef from the peninsula was my boss at the American club there. And he's like, you know, the best way you can get across to people, forget the what you, how you've been working in the UK and what you've done before, is to work like a coach and coach people, enthuse them, know fully well that people are going to make mistakes and to get more out of them, you know, embrace the mistakes. And I guarantee you if you approach that in the, in the right way that it's going to come off so much more positive um, and people will have so much more respect for you. Um, and if you do need to talk to somebody, and you know, it's, it's not a great thing. We all have face, even you have face. It's not just a Hong Kong Chinese thing. Uh, talk to people behind a closed door, mm. you know, and, and um, that just stayed with me. And I guess when I see something like this pastry chef who, he was pretty bloody amazing, but that was the last time I ever heard of him. You know? Wow. And yeah. it's worked well for me because um, I can be myself. I don't have to um, be this person that I'm, I'm really not comfortable being. Um, when I first went to the UK, I started off working at um, Marco Pierre White's The Canteen. And I was there for like three or four months and I absolutely hated it. Yeah. Um, I'd read the book, I'd sort of seen a few bits and pieces on 
think ABC or whatever like that. And it's like, if I'm going to be a good chef, I have to get there. And yeah. I, I wrote a letter because um, we didn't have emails back in those days and um, got no reply from the letter. So I got on the telephone and, uh, and I, I rang the restaurant and ended up speaking to the chef there. And he was pretty much, if you can get here, I'll, I'll give you a job. So I kind of, that's what I did. Mm. And um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen so many people, including myself, so badly humiliated verbally by people. Um, for people that we literally spend 80, 90 hours there a week, battling uphill the entire time. And I had a couple of days off and I went up to Oxfordshire and there was this uh, chef that actually inspired me to get into cooking in the first place from reading his cookbook. And that was Raymond Blanc. And um, so I went up there, they let me stay in the hotel for free for the weekend because they couldn't find accommodation for me. And um, yeah, I cooked there with the team, did service with them. Uh, cooked for, for Raymond and he, they offered me a job. So I was just like, this is so different. And Raymond at that time was one of the people that he was in, in he was, I suppose, using Asian ingredients in French cuisine, using some Chinese ingredients. For me, that was the norm back in Australia of what we grew up with. And, um, but for the Europeans that worked in the kitchen there, what's this? What's yeah, yeah. this coriander stuff? Yeah, know? yeah. Um, and I, I, I felt myself sort of, for me, it was like a, a finishing school almost. Um, I absolutely loved it. I think I thrived there. And um, yeah, I, I really, really loved it. And then I, I got offered this job. So I was just like, all right, sorry, I'm, I'm going. So. So. Are you from, what, I'm, I'm, from I'm, Melbourne? Or? I'm a Melbourne boy. Yeah. So I played um, baseball for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, thought I would make a bit of a career out of it, but um, my oh. arm went down. I still have having problems with my arm to this very day. Um, and so that sort of put a, a, a big no for that. Um, I was also working um, back in the day, running various nights at the Chevron um, and also Checkpoint Charlie. And I scored a job at um, Checkpoint Charlie as the assistant manager and for a 19, 18, 19 year old to have that job, you know, I, I thought I was the ants pants type yeah. of thing, you know, yeah. in so, for so many different reasons. and. Um, but it felt quite soulless and um, I was kind of looking for something to really set my teeth into. I didn't want to go, we're going to go back to, to school or to, sorry, to university um, stupidly because I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm so much older than the people that would be doing starting now. Which is only two years difference. Yeah. So, but you think it it's feels a lot a of that difference. stage, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think it was the New Orleans Tavern of all places. Um, I was in there late one night um, with a chef by the name of David Brain, who was back from um, what was the name of the restaurant? I think it was Fanny's or Glow Glows or something like that. 
the Michael Code, the David Brain sort of mafia of, of the time back then. And um, I very quickly found out David was a chef because um, I was playing pool against him and I'm kind of betting that if I beat him, he's going to give me a job in his kitchen. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I beat him. <laughs> That's a good way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of, yeah. And um, the irony of it, it was probably a very good time for me to, to get in, into that sort of field because... You know, there was so much bad stuff happening in clubs and stuff in that time, so I'm glad I was never, ever sort of a part of that. But, um, yeah, so I rocked up at his little restaurant back then, which was called Limbo in Chapel Street, next door to Chase's. And it was very much, at that time, I think there was three restaurants in Chapel Street that you would consider going to. There was the old school La Luciola, which has always been there. Cafe Cucina. There was um, Toscani's, and there was Limbo Bar. Iguana hadn't opened by that stage. Um, so I rocked up in a brand new chef jacket, chef pants, brand new knives. Thinking, oh, it's kind of pretty cool. And um, had you done much cooking? Never. <laughs> and uh, so I watched washed dishes for the first three months. Yeah. which um, I hated every moment of it. Mm. But for me, it's the best thing I could have ever done um, to sort of get in touch with myself again, be humbled, um, appreciate the work that, that I actually was doing, that I was getting paid, you know, for an honest day's work type yeah. of scenario. And, um, yeah, you know, that's when I sort of, came in contact with the Greg Browns of the world back in those days and um, uh, that I saw this book about Marco, I saw this book about Raymond Blanc and, you know, they were pipe dreams at that stage. Um, and I went and worked uh, at Shinwa when Kevin was there, when he was the GM there and Gail were there, who recently passed away. Um, and I was kind of, got it sort of in my skin that, I'm going to get in contact with uh, Marco Pierre White and get a job in his restaurant. It's still pretty fascinating, isn't it? Because, it, cause, you know, I, th I think the people that do stick it out as chefs or stay in hospitality for, for so long, um, you know, obviously you have to have a passion for it. And although you kind of accidentally got into that kitchen, jo you know, job, to have those high ambitions and to be so inspired by reading something, there must have been, you know, there was something waiting in... And obviously it paid off, like, finding well, that area. Yeah, it was, it was just something that I, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, the what creative, do you love about it, the creative? The creative aspect of it. Um, I guess with what I've been fortunate to do, um, there's been a lot of travelling as well. Oh, yeah. So whether it's been in India, whether it's been in Sri Lanka or, you know, New York or... Miami or whatever like that, you know, you can always learn something. It could be from the dishwasher, it could be from the, you know, the lowest ranked cook in the kitchen or whatever, but there's there's always something happening, whether it's a spice mix, whether it's a technique of cooking. Um, I mean, when I first moved to, to Hong Kong, we had several restaurants in the American Club, and back in that day, it was so opulent, so decadent. It was the place to sort of hang out at and you know, 
to have a membership, I think, was the equivalent of $200,000. Yeah. And then fees on top of that. So, you know, you had everyone from Jackie Chan to the politicians of the day, um, ex-presidents, presidents that were coming into the States. Um, and the type of money that we had to work with, there was no limit. So I was, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, once you cross over into that sort of high end, um, either you know, large scale club situations or hotels, it yeah. must be hard to go back to. Well, um, there's a really big difference, isn't there, between oh, all of that and then yeah. owner operated restaurants? Yeah, yeah, no, t- 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 totally. Um, I think there's the places that I've kind of been working at they've always attracted a different type of person that goes to it the guy that sits in the corner that's very very quiet that appreciates eating and you don't hear from him except to maybe turn around and really enjoy that or whatever it is he's probably got more money than you know than God type of thing and you have the other person that comes in because of the association with the brand or the type of venue that maybe speaks and commands a bit more attention than, than the normal person and then you have the other other people that you know come in and are so appreciative of just being able to have the experience and I guess you know the, the that one and the first one are the ones that I kind of warm to a little bit and a few people kind of following me sort of on my journey of where, where I've gone to. Um, coming back here though was, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, I guess luck. Yeah. Um, I was with luck and bad luck. I was in Six Senses. I moved from, um, from W to was going to be to W in Bali and um, the GM who recently has just left W Hotels from Australia um, he was the GM of um, W in Bali at that time and he's like you know here we we it's W Bali and it's this and it's that and you know, I only need to pay you like five and a half thousand a month here and I'm like, dude, why the fuck would I come and work for you for five and a half grand? But also with that attitude. Yeah, I make, I make nearly $17,000 a month in Singapore with the same brand. So I was like, you know, look at my resume, you know. And so from there, I, I, I basically joined Six Senses, which is, um, again, I guess it's people that I've worked with previously. Some associated with Arman Resorts and some with the GHM, which is our sister company. And um, Six Senses was taking what Arman tried to do to a next level, so far as sustainability and health and, and all of that. And I literally grew everything that I cooked. Wow. Um, the seafood came from a local seafood supplier. Um, my meat was Australian but farmed in um, uh, Georgia, which is um, northern Indonesia. Um, and it was, it was beautiful, absolutely stunning. Um, I became the vegetarian plant-based specialist for Six Senses Group, 
which um are you vegetarian and plant based but they tried to turn me into it they made me watch this movie called oblivion i think it's called okay um and i think i went vego for about a week um it's pretty horrendous um but no, I, I kind of got the short straw on that one. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of cool because I, I got to, um, when there was an opening or a new chef came into one of the other properties, Asia Pacific, then I'd go and show them, this is how we do it at Six Senses. Um, and it was very community-based also what we did. So Corona happened. We weren't really affected by it, but you know, because we grew a lot of stuff on the resort itself, we go and help the local villagers or those that were sort of in need. Um, and I probably would have stayed in Bali, um, except my daughter did really, really well on her year 12 exams and uh, got into Melbourne University. So being that my daughter lived with me um, all over Asia, Middle East, India. Um, she's kind of lived in a bubble most of her life. And Bali is Bali. You know, there's some places you go, there's some places you don't go. So I was just like, oh, you know, I think I'm gonna have to come down and, and take care of you. And um, so yeah, so that was what I, what I sort of came down to do. I was, um, looking at the one and only in Walgan Valley to, to rejoin the group and came in and um, everything went into lockdown again, closed down. I think it's still closed down now because of the landfall. Um, but when I arrived, got out of lock up, lockdown and all of that sort of deal. Um, one of the residents of um, W Singapore had just moved back to Australia to open up the Sofitel in, um, in Adelaide. And through Krista, <laughs> um, she needs a chef and someone that can handle F&B because her chef and her F&B have walked out. She's got to open the hotel in three months. Can you get to Adelaide? Yeah, I'll drive there. So I had a special permit <laughs> to be able to go across the borders. Wow. Uh, went in there and did it. Um, I would have liked to have stayed there. It's one of the most beautiful hotels I've seen from a restaurant point of view. But this is where my family is, so yeah. you know, I had to come across here. So I opened the property, got a chef out, and then came over here. Wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't quite realised I was, I really am speaking to, you know, <laughs> some culinary royalty. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I, the biggest, biggest thing for me, I've, I've worked Michelin star. Um, some of the hotels that I've worked at have been lucky enough to be in the hot list or top three Condé Nast. But the biggest and probably the most satisfying award that I've ever, ever had was um, many years ago. I went to Shanghai to open a freestanding restaurant for a Hong Kong company after the American Club. And it was called Park 97. And um, I took these kids literally in off the street and made them a 
French chefs. Wow. And um, some years later, I was in Shanghai, and um, one of them got in contact with me and invited me to dinner. At um, I think it might have been a Novotel or something on the board. Big, big five-star hotel. So, alright, cool. Go and have dinner there and, and all of that. And um, he's waiting and he turned up and he was wearing a full chef hat and the culinary condom and all of that. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what's going on here? And he's like, chef, I wanted to invite you here tonight to say thank you for what you did for me for my career because now I'm the executive chef of this hotel and this would never have happened if it wasn't for you. Wow. And like, a few tears. I know, I was going to shiver. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so, yeah, stuff like that's really important to me. Um, my chef de cuisine that's just started with us here, um, he started his apprenticeship um, with me and now he's my chef de cuisine. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a... If I could have all of my kids from overseas come and work for me here, I'd have them here and have a drop of that. So, you know, that's that's kind of, it's the food, it's the creativeness, it's about being able to share my experiences. Yeah. Um, it's not to be in the spotlight or it just doesn't really do it for me. Um, but it's seeing and helping other people grow with what they do. So, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, like, like a coach. So will you open this and then move on to something else? Or how I'm hoping. That... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Um... How long, I mean, so how long have you been involved now here? Oh, God. Um... Has it been delayed? Because I feel like I read an article saying it, it was yeah. possibly going to open in 23. But yeah, yeah. It, it was meant to open um, before COVID. Oh, I see. So originally... The story was they wanted me to go to Bangkok, no, sorry, to Maldives, and they sent me the contract and all of that sort of deal, and so no, this is pretty cool. We'll go over there. The guy who was the GM, um, I worked with him in Miami and in London. Lovely, lovely guy, and he was also ex uh, Six Senses, um, the GM from the Singapore property. I thought, yeah, this would be great. I like the way he works. We'll work well together. But then COVID started happening. I thought, oh fuck, if I, if I go there, I'm gonna get stuck there. Um, so I had to decline the position. And then they were like, well, you can do this and you can go and do the Bangkok opening. I was like, no, I just like, can't. Yeah. And they're like, listen, we've got Australia in the, in the pipeline. Um, would you be interested in that if it comes up? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I got this phone call from um, the gentleman I worked with at Morgan's and I thought it was just a reach out and he's like oh I'm the new corporate chef for standard hotel groups and I think my first words were you fucker you know I wanted that gig but um, I'm in Australia and he's like um, I need your help I need to be able to do a bit of recon for me on the Melbourne property so um, Sure, no problem. Suppliers, um, the places that are working, ones that aren't. Um, produce is fantastic here. Um, and it was just sort of back and forwards on that. And he's like, I'd really like to get you involved with the property, being that um, this is your hometown. Would you be yeah. interested? And I kind of 
I was debating whether to, to go and rejoin one of the companies that I formerly worked for and be in charge of uh, Indonesia for cooking, nothing else. Um, and it was just like, yeah, my daughter's settled and, you know, I don't want to be that dad that's stopping her from being herself. And then he's like, um, would you be interested? And I was just like, mm-hmm. And Andy McConnell, who has done so well here, um, we used to be uh, solvers of the world's problems in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Wow. So he worked for um, Michelle Garneau. I worked for uh, the sister Nicole, who I opened the property for in Shanghai. And, you know, we were buddy-buddy and used to hang out after work and, you know, small sort of... There was the German chefs and the French chefs who stayed in one one line and then there was a little group of us. Yeah. And, you know, it was just sort of, you know, we could catch up, we could chat, talk about food, talk about work and party a bit, you know, that type of thing. And um, I was like, well, you know what? I'm up for the challenge. Let's see where this takes me. And um, I'm doing a bit of work for corporate at the moment on, on other projects. But this is this is where my heart is, I think, at the moment. So what will the offer be? Are there, is there, how many eateries will be in that property? Uh, there's one main restaurant yeah. on the ground floor, um, which is... I suppose uh, being that part of our company is from Thailand as well, um, is Thai, but I've been able to take that food concept from being a, a Thai restaurant to a just Thai, whatever you want to call it, modern Thai. Um, but our beverage offering um, is purely Victorian. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. I think it'd be a shame not to, to be that. I don't think we could be anything else or want to be anything else being that where we are in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and also with, with what has happened during COVID, um, there's so been so much sort of in-house product development, whether it be people like Thin Wines or um, Salt Charcuterie or this type of thing. And so coming aboard and being able to work with, with these people you know, tomorrow I'm going up to taste a, um, a lime, a kefir, kefir lime prosecco. Um, all our soft drinks are custom made and self-branded. Um, so yeah, and there's so much wine history here. Yeah. You know, and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that we have so much beautiful produce here, um, beverage-wise. But you'll still see these wankers walk into these big restaurants and order a bottle of wine just because of the price and yeah. a label that they can't read anyway yeah. and know nothing about it, you know? Well, I was on a wine tour in the Yarra Valley on Saturday and um, and randomly I'd heard of Finn Wines. I mean, you know, it had come up on my radar yeah. and we needed one more place to go. And I said, oh, why don't we go there? It was the winery of the day. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. rustic and down to earth. I mean, yeah. this lovely man giving doing the tasting and just the view down the valley yeah, yeah. and the wines are so interesting just they are. you know the vermentino yeah. and the more that more of that pet net style and so on it was just yeah yeah, yeah. i was impressed yeah. so it's like um i think their parents 
the two of the boys that are in the wine, um, their parents have proper pedigree wine places and have grown up with the wines. So it's their spin on it. Yeah. And I think it's it's fits so much what we're doing doing here. Oh that's great to hear, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole idea, <laughs> when I was reading, you know, about the Standard Hotel group and the whole party thing, I don't feel like, will that happen on Rose Street in Fitzroy? Is it going to be that kind of hotel? No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's, um, we're, we're a little bit of a different take on your, on your normal standard. We don't have a nightclub. Yeah. Um, we're more about residents dining and eating than experience. Yeah. I guess the ambience of things that goes with that. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a, I guess, a mecca of, of food and wine around here and stuff that's different. You know, it reminds me last Friday that just, just passed, uh, it reminds me of what Chapel Street used to be like back in the 80s or late, late 80s. And it's kind of, this is the place to be. I, I don't think, and thank God, because at the end, of the end of the day, clubs can be very hit and miss. I'm kind of glad we don't have that. Yeah. You know, and we'll have a more, I guess, educated market, um, I guess about, you know, ingredients, about wine, um, and the beverage program as well. And I think it'll be a lot more appreciated to pour a bottle of, of, of wine that, Oh yeah, I know where that vineyard is, yeah. and, and my staff are going to know exactly how it's made, what goes into it. It just feels like really showcasing what we can showcase of, of Victoria, you know. And there's so much of that here, whether it's wine, whether it's beer, gin, obviously, whiskey to some extent, um, our seafood. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's an amazing place considering that. Some of the countries that I've worked in, um, namely India, a little bit Sri Lanka, definitely Maldives, we had to fly everything in. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely everything. And it's it's kind of sad too, because I mean, even in the UK when I was working there, apart from the stuff we grew on the farm, all the seafood would come in from, from France or way, way up north. Yeah. Um, and the vegetables would, would come in daily from uh, from Amsterdam. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it's there's nothing real local. I mean, I'm sure it's changed now, but, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know? Especially when, comparatively to when I first was working in Bali or somewhere like Hong Kong, and all your cheese was Swiss or German or French, and now Australia is taking over. Yeah. And when you see, you know, the words Yarra Valley or, you know, Rather Glen or Ballarat or Bendigo, it's like a little bit sort of feeling a bit of pride there and, you know, wearing it on your sleeve. So, yeah, it's, it's nice. It feels right. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I keep having to pinch myself that I'm actually home, that this is it. So, it's, um, there's a lot of, uh, well, they say blood, sweat and tears going into this program here, so, yeah. Okay.
Can't wait for it to open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Yeah, no worries. so much for listening to this episode of conversation with a chef with justin dingle garcia you can check out the fancy new standard hotel which will be opening soonish in rose street and actually other standard hotels in new york the maldives ibiza at www.standardhotels.com if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs i'm on instagram at conversation with the chef You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwiththechef.com and I would love it if you told a friend about my chats. You can follow me on Apple and Spotify and I also have podcasts on uh, Amazon and Audible if that's your thing. (laughs) Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and bon appétit.